This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. Format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Destinations International. Next up on the event calendar is Marcom, which is the Marketing and Communications Summit, the preeminent gathering place for marketing, communications, and PR professionals dedicated to helping their destination organizations thrive. Get inspired, lift your creativity to a new level in a destination that is truly elevated. Salt Lake City, February 27 through 29. Registration is now open in the events section at destinationsinternational.org. And now it's on to our show. Randy Fiveash became a retired DMO CEO last spring after over 45 years of proven leadership experience in the DMO, tourism, and hospitality industry. Randy's final DMO position was being named the interim president and CEO of the Fayetteville Area Convention and Visitors Bureau, now known as Distinctly Fayetteville, in May of 2021. It was a planned 90-day, very temporary stint in Fayetteville, as his wife had just taken on the Chamber of Commerce CEO position there. It turned into a two-year extended interim role, taking on the leadership role of the Fayetteville CVB at a time of transition and rebuilding. Randy came out of a quote-unquote planned retirement to lead and direct strategic planning and the execution of research-based marketing, sales, and public relations. Prior to Fayetteville, Randy served 13 years as the director of the Connecticut Office of Tourism, responsible for leading the state's annual multi-million dollar statewide tourism and marketing budget, strategic planning, and development efforts, all focused on driving economic growth through the tourism industry. Prior to his time in Connecticut, Randy served as the commissioner of tourism for the Commonwealth of Kentucky, and he led the successful research-based Kentucky Unbridled Spirit state branding effort with legislative, citizen, and industry support and involvement. Randy has also served as the executive director of the National Tourism Foundation and served as CEO of DMOs in Myrtle Beach, Arlington, Texas, Gatlinburg, and Branson. He began his DMO experience in Savannah, Georgia, with the Savannah Area CVB. Randy was a delegate to the White House Conference on Tourism and has served in leadership positions on the boards of Destinations International, Travel South, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Missouri CVB Associations, the Southeast Tourism Society, National Tourism Foundation, and the Mississippi River Development Association, Discover New England, and many, many more. Randy is originally from Macon, Georgia, and is a graduate of Mercer University with a master's degree from Central Connecticut State University. He's married to his wife, Sherry, and together, within their blended family, they have five kids spread coast to coast and points in between, and they are blessed with two beautiful granddaughters, one amazing grandson, and another granddaughter due to arrive any day. Randy Fivesh, my friend, welcome to DMOU. Thank you, Bill. It is a great honor to be with you, and I appreciate the opportunity. It's, uh, it's great to be on your show and have the opportunity to share some insights with you and have good conversation with you. Yeah, well, the honor is all ours. You know, I was trying to remember where we first met, which, of course, <clears throat> dates us both. <laughs> and as I just read your bio, I really think that we first met at the White House Conference on Tourism during the Clinton administration, which was a wild event, the first time ever that the federal government had recognized travel and tourism 
as a thing in this country. And of course, now it's a big part of what the federal program is with Brand USA and, and everything else. But what's your favorite remembrance from the White House Conference on Tourism? Well, it's interesting. I agree with you. It was a terrific event. And it was it was the first time and, and President Clinton did that. And I remember his remarks. And I remember him talking about how he valued the importance from a leadership standpoint, from a federal standpoint, and White House standpoint, how he valued uh, what tourism actually brought in into the entire U.S. and into individual states. And so I've met and been around a lot of leaders and a few presidents, you know, running in and out of various things over the years, senators and representatives and such. But it was the first time that I had heard, and probably most people had heard, somebody at the highest level of the federal government uh, talking about the importance of, of tourism and, and the value of what the economic impact is to, uh, to individual states and cities and communities all over the country. So that's a much deeper answer than mine. My favorite part of the White House Conference on Tourism was when, <laughs> when Al Gore was speaking and he was talking. I mean, he, and, you know, he is so self-deprecating. Yeah. And he was yeah. talking about the fact that, you know, the president and the head of the Supreme Court and all these, you know, major individuals have Secret Service code names. Yeah. You know, like the president was Vanguard and, yeah. and you know, somebody else was, you know, was Cougar. And he says, my secret service code name is Al Gore. <laughs> and the whole place just cracked up. <laughs> so anyway, first question. So, okay, 45 years, eight destinations, some states, some local DMOs, a boatload of stories to tell. Let's start with the lessons that you've learned over that time in, in this world. If you could reach out to you as a young Padawan in Savannah, Georgia, what would you encourage your younger self to do and what would you look out for? Yeah, that is such a great question. And, you know, as I re reflect over the many years, it doesn't, when I really look at it, it certainly doesn't seem like it's been 45. Sometimes I feel like it has been, but, uh, <laughs> but, but it doesn't seem like it's been a lot. I've been blessed. I mean, extremely blessed to be in some great, great destinations over, over the years. I've, I've been fortunate to be able to pick and choose the ones where I've been, and, and they've been bl all blessings all. There are a lot of lessons, Bill, and, and it is such a great question because, because you can learn it as you go along. And if you, I can, I can say this from if I were talking to someone just getting in this business, and that is the first thing is to be willing to learn, be willing to to continue your learning process till on past, I'm still learning and I'm already, I'm retired from this thing, but you continue to learn and continue to do the kinds of things that you need to do to make you a better leader and your destination a better destination. Okay. I came up with five though, just to kind of narrow some things down that, that if I would have someone sitting in front of me that I would talk to. And the first one is extremely, extremely important to me because it's the way I live my life. And I'm proud to say that. But, but I think any organization and any leader has to have a set of core values. What do you believe in as an organization? What do you believe in that, that you want to follow through, that you can stand up in front of a crowd of, of whether it's uh, your constituents, whether it's your stakeholders, whether it's government leaders, whomever it is, and you can say, this is how we do things. Now, the, my best set of core values, I'll give them to you and then we can you know, people can argue with these or make different ones and such, but I think these are, 
are extremely important. First is transparency. Transparency is so very, very important in an organization. I, I'd be surprised that the ones that are not, that people tell me uh, that we don't know what's going on. We have no clue what's going on. I've taken over organizations in that form or in that shape and had to reform, convince people that you're being transparent and, and show them it's, you live, have to live the proof. Uh, part of that's being visible. Visibility is the second core value. Uh, be out there, yeah. not just when you're invited to speak to the Rotary Club or invited to be in front of whomever it may be, but go to city council meetings, go to county council mm-hmm. meetings, go to whatever those are and make sure whether you are speaking or not, uh, make sure they know who the organization is, you're the leader of, of the organization. A key one to me is, again, living your life this way is building respectability of the organization and of yourself and those that are, that are part of that. Building partnerships. Uh, you can't survive in this business. You cannot survive in this business unless you are willing to build partnerships mm-hmm. and make them flourish within your program of work, within uh, your daily organizational structure, whatever it may be. Those partners are your your stakeholders, your government leaders, whomever it may be. And in some cases, maybe those that are that are actually giving you sponsorship money or whatever it may be, but it's partnership. And then the final one is part of my set of core values is leadership. I want to make sure that people know that I want to promote leadership within the community, within the state, wherever you are. You are the leader. You are the you are the one that is the the one you look to that people look to. If you're in the tourism industry, you look to that that organization, you look to the organization that you're, you are, and you look to yourself, you look at yourself in the mirror and say, am I, am I leading this organization in the way, in the way that it should be? So make sure that you're being and acting strategic. You have a strategic plan. I'm surprised, Bill, and I know you are too, because you do so much of this work. Yeah. But you're surprised as I am to see organizations that have no strategic plan. They have no road. Right. It's incredible to walk into an organization and say, I'd like to, before, you, before I get there, send me a strategic plan. And they kind of, you know, humble around a little bit and say, well, we don't have one. Well, you have to have one. Yep. Whether it's one year, two year, three year, four year, five year, whatever it may be. And obtain the buy-in from the board and community stakeholders, including government leadership and such. The third one is marketing with a purpose-driven research-based marketing. I believe, it is my personal belief, that if you're not doing your marketing, wherever it may be, whether it's international, national, local, sports, whatever it may be, if you're not doing it with some research behind it, then I believe, in my my humble opinion, that you're wasting a boatload of money. And the final thing is, is extremely important. Next to the final thing, the final thing is important too. But this one is, they say they won't change when you come there, when you go there. Yeah. How many times have you been there, Bill, that... They say, well, we just wanted this systemic change. We really wanted, that's the reason we brought somebody new or we got rid of somebody or or whatever else. But do they really know what change is? Do they know what it's going to bring? Do they know within their own way? So if you're going somewhere, if you're going into an organization, becoming CEO, becoming whatever part of the organization, find out what that definition of of change is and, and, and go into that. And then my favorite of all these really, because I've been doing this so dang long, uh, if you go in this organization these days and time, especially get a contract, Yeah. get one that, that says the other says, it doesn't just protect the CEO. 
it protects the organization as well. Because it is a business. Whether that's a three-year, two-year, one-year, five-year, whatever it may be, get some parameters. And, and so everybody understands where we're all coming from. There's so many other lessons that we can learn, but, but those, those just kind of off the top there, really. Yeah. And, you know, I, I got to agree with you on the, the research thing. And a, a mutual friend of ours, and you both worked at the same DMO for a while, and that was uh, Myrtle Beach. Yeah. Brad Dean would always say on research, I'm going to spend X million dollars on media, on video, on TV. I got to know that my message actually works. So we worked with him a number of times when he was in Myrtle Beach on testing his video. And we found amazing insights that if you were running by the seat of your pants, I mean, you know, you and I are both marketers. We got a pretty good sense of what's going to work and what's not going to work. But scenes or images that I would have green lighted because they made sense just tested horribly against target markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we realized that most of the video that DMOs create right. is good stuff. But there are these occasional misses that if you can remove them, now you've got a 100% video that's going to nail it. But if you leave those strays in there, you're going to operate around 60, 70%. Yeah. And yeah. it was a fascinating time with him. And I, I can't agree more with you. I think that in the old days, when we both got into this industry, we were seat of the pants. We didn't have a lot of research available to us. But today, there's so much research and that we don't, that some DMOs don't choose to invest in it, I think is sad because they could be much better, right? They could be much better because if you're not if you're not testing it and researching it, if you don't know what your market is to begin with, and that's a problem that a lot of, a lot of DMOs start with, they think they know what the, their market is. I, I remember in, in the early, early, early days, your return was uh, how many visitor guides you sent out or your license plates, where they came from, all that kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> before the internet right. and all those yep. kinds of things. But now with, with cell phone data, with everything else you got, it's just incredible what you can find out. Well, it's all we had, right? So clearly, as you just said, the internet and technology have changed destination marketing in ways that you and I never would have imagined in the 70s and the 80s. But beyond that, what have been the profound changes that you've seen that are not technology connected? Yeah. Uh, Have these changes been to the benefit of our sector? Or is it something that maybe is lost that we should try to retrieve? That is also such a great question. I'm, I'm glad to, to be able to cover some of these things because I've, you know, I've lived them a long time, but, uh, and I think they're important to live and to think about, you know, every day about what's going on out there. You can affect and some things you can't, you cannot affect. Uh, one we just kind of talked about, and it has a little bit to do to technology, some of it, but the messages certainly, uh, obviously internet and, and social media and such has created the opportunity for the message to get a further reach. Where that lets off or stops, the, the technology and all, is with those people who are sitting around that table developing those messages. And sometimes the messages can and do get, get garbled. So, so are we asking the right questions? Are we on our messaging or to be effective? All those things that you and I just talked about, again, it gets back, get back, back to research. One of the things that is interesting to me, and I have to admit, I have, as you mentioned in my bio, uh, Sherry and I have uh, five kids between us, and I tell you, I've got three of those children, 
who do what I'm getting ready to talk about, and that is they change jobs way more than you and I have ever thought about changing jobs. And it's not because you, they get fired or they get, you know, whatever it may be. It's just because it's just in the, it seems to be some, in, in some is the nature of just want to move, move forward. Even if it's a lateral move, it's just, just that opportunity yeah. to, to move forward. And so I always asked the question, I said, is it, is it always upward mobility? Is it, you don't want to be loyal anymore? Are you loyal? Those kinds of things. But most of the time I get the answer, well, it's just time to move on. And well, you know, it's just interesting that it happens more. And it's, I think there's some things we can do about it, though, because it costs more for the DMO and training and other costs mm-hmm. uh, when you get a person in and they leave in two years because they're just kind of want to move on, not because they're unhappy with you or because they uh, think you, excuse me, think you're a bad uh, person or a bad organization. But there's a lot of costs there, and you and they move forward, but. But I think we can create, I really believe in what I, I think, and I've tried to start this in organizations where I've been over the last recent few years, is you got to create the opportunities within the organization that, uh, that lessens that likelihood of movement. And I think you can do that. Sometimes it's not going to work. They're just going to move because they want to move. But, but I think that uh, it is a real something we never saw before. I mean, people wanted to stay for you know, forever and ever. And sometimes that wasn't good either, mm-hmm. especially in, I've been in two state governments and face that where you got 35 year lifers in, in state office of tourism and never been outside the state, you know, so. Yeah, that is the yin and the yang, isn't it? Because you want to keep your high performers, but for how long? And what I'm seeing is the really high performing DMOs right. are, I think, shifting from hiring for skills and hiring for experience and talent and looking more at hiring for passion. That if you can identify a person who is passionate about where they live and they can't wait every day to share it with other people, you can teach them the DMO tactics and how we operate and how you take that passion and make it you know, something that is valuable to the organization, valuable to the destination. Yeah. There's something there that maybe it's not about talent as much as it is about passion. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And and I think that people who walk into their, to their offices every day or to the organization every day, and they feel that way and they have that passion, then the people around them will get that passion or feel that passion. The people that they work for, the government yeah, leaders, the right whomever yep. it is that they walk into, they may not be able to say, okay, here's here's what you got to do to book the National Association of yada, yada, yada. But I got the passion that this is the greatest place that I'm going to try to book that sports group or that convention or that whatever it may be. And, and so I think that you're exactly, exactly, exactly right. Yeah. Which kind of goes into, you know, I talk all the time nowadays, we all do about labor shortage. Uh, the labor shortage is really, really tough in, in our industry. Part of it, started got worse i should say with covid but i think there are some some things like you're talking about here and uh, uh that we can do in the industry that can that can make those folks want to stay longer sometimes got to do with wages sometimes got to do with other but i think finding those people that that have got the passion at last yeah. and then the final thing i would i would say to this point the hospitality industry people that are passionate about it and get into it 
they have to understand a couple of things. It's a people business. It's still a people business hundred from a hundred years ago, and it's still a people business today. It's experiential, and it's a people and personal contact business. I start out every organization I've ever been in, and I say it a hundred times while I'm there, that I tell people, especially those people that are first touch people, those that are on the front desk, that are in the visitor centers, that are on the phones, that are whatever it may be. And I flat out say, you cannot have a bad day. I'm sorry, but you can't have a bad day. And the reason you can't have a bad day is the person you're going to be talking to on the phone or seeing at the welcome center or meeting at a trade show or whoever it may be, this may be the most important decision that they make in a week, in a year, in a lifetime, coming to your destination or being a part of what you do. So it is extremely important. It goes back to passion. If you don't have it, get out of the business and move on and do something else. Yeah. Is there something that we've lost that you miss from your time in the 80s and the 90s? Uh, you know, again, technology makes this a less of a people business, even though it needs to be. Yeah. And I know that we can operate with technology and many of us have been successful doing it. But is there something that, that we've lost sight of that you remember from your earlier days in this world? That's such a great, great question too, Bill. And, and I think it goes back to what I was just talking about as I, as I've the last two or three organizations I've been a part of, I've seen the difference in what happens with people that, that expect that they need to be personal, expect that they need to have a good day, expect that they need I mean, it's just part of that. It's, it's got to be intertwined in your being, in your soul. Yeah. Okay. That you have to be that way instead of just saying, well, I'll, I'll send them a short text. I'll let them do it. Or I'll send them a short email or, or whatever it is. And, and they don't pick up the phone to, to call anybody. And I understand that. I mean, it's, it's a lot different. And, and a lot of meeting planners don't want to take phone calls. I mean, I understand all that. But know the difference. Know when you do need to have the personal contact. Know when it needs to have it not just automatically assume. So it's a conscious decision sure. uh, that you make every day when you walk into to a DMO office of what you're going to do to encourage a meeting planner, a tourist, a, a visitor, or a sports person, whomever it may be, to come to your destination and not only come to it, but yeah. come back. As we discussed this episode a week or so ago, you said you were most proud of your ability and dedication to paying it forward. And one of the individuals that you mentioned at a young age is a recent guest and current chair of Destinations International, New York City's Fred Dixon. Share with us the fraternity and sorority of DMO pros that you have promoted and mentored over your career. You know, as you asked that question uh, and asked me to to reflect on this, I I went back and um, and I was was very proud because... Obviously, the people that, that I'm going to talk about or I'm going to mention, they've done it themselves. I haven't called somebody and said, you got to hire this person no matter what and whatever. They, they've gotten to where they are, and, and Fred's a terrific example. But it begins with me, quite frankly, as a person of faith. I believe in life and business that you pay it forward. Mm-hmm. You hear that term a lot, and you say, what, what is paying it forward? And, and what it really means is, is you, in our industry, is that as a CEO coming into it, I believe that it must be an intentional every day that you leave our industry uh, better than you find it. And, and that's, that's easy to say. I mean, it's easy to say. And it's easy to go, kind of 
you know, colloquialism or whatever it may be. But I think it's very, very important. How do we do that? We lead the effort to build leaders, to set an example, help wherever and whenever we can to find and encourage and enable the next generation of leaders. Uh, that should be, as a CEO, that should be our legacy. That should be a part of what we, our DNA. Yeah. Some of the people are, are pretty interesting. You mentioned Fred. Fred comes in the, in the third uh, bureau I ran, but the first one in Myrtle Beach. And then, but the first, I started the bureau in Myrtle Beach. And then uh, we left out Greenville, South Carolina a while ago. I started the bureau with a great board and great people in, in Greenville, South Carolina many years ago. And there was a fellow that I hired there named Michael Carrier. Oh, yeah. Uh, Michael came from uh, yep. Mike came from the hotel sector. You know, you know Michael, I'm sure. Remember Mike, yeah. And um, he was our CBB director of sales. He came in the hotel business, and he went on to lead the bureaus in Knoxville. And later for a long time, he was in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Oklahoma. So Mike's, Mike's a great guy. And uh, I think he's even retired. And I, I, I looked him up on LinkedIn, quite frankly, because I hadn't heard from Mike in a long, long time. And I think he's retired here somewhere in North Carolina, too. So I'm going to try to look him up. Good. Good. You know, in, in Arlington, Texas, had a great group of people there. But one of the guys there, he didn't stay in the CBB business, but, but he stayed in our industry. His name's Ken Gilbert. And, and Ken founded his own exposition management services company in Orlando. And he's done extremely well, extremely well there and is doing a great job there. But as far as paying it forward, it is extremely interesting, and, and, and I applaud him for this and love him for this. He's a founding partner in an organization called A Place for Grace Ministries, which is an agency that's working with the homeless and the less fortunate in Osceola County there in Florida. That truly is paying it forward, and he, he does that. Now, you get to Gatlinburg, and that's where Fred comes in. Fred's such a great friend, yeah. and, and I love Fred. He's such an inspiration to us all. In his first position, he was a group tour sales manager. He came in very shy, you know, unassuming kind of fellow, and he was just such a neat, neat, neat guy. And um, and he came in, and we hired him as our group tour sales manager. And uh, now as a CEO, as you say, in New York, he went through Nashville. Yeah. He was there for a while. Right. And then he had a couple other stints in private organizations in New York, and then New York Bureau, and now, of course, chairman. I'm really so very proud of Fred and for Fred chairman of the board of uh, Destination International. Also, had a great group in Gatlinburg because also I hired uh, Dina Ivey. Yeah. And uh, Dina was a director in Gatlinburg. Our organization was the Chamber of Commerce to begin with and the Convention of Vista Bureau came aboard. And then I had the city council come to me and ask me to run the convention center as well. So we had it all. But Dina Ivey, we hired her as the director of our Chamber of Commerce uh, Division, and uh, she went on to Nashville as you right. uh, and was was the chief marketing officer for many years. And now, as of January 22, she became the president and CEO of uh, Nashville CBB. So so happy for so happy for her. Yep. And her husband uh, worked for us as well, uh, Brian Ivy, and he went on um, and he worked for us in the convention center. And they met there, and then later married, went to Nashville and. And he works for the convention center there in Nashville. And at Branson, Missouri, uh, Claudia Vecchio, who probably a lot of a lot of people on that's going to hear this podcast are going to know Claudia. Claudia is a su- superb yeah. person, and she's a superb communications person. I, I hired uh, Claudia um, in Branson. She came from public relations company, communications industry. 
she became our community uh, director of communications, and she just went on to just have a superb career. Does still has a superb career. She went on to be director of Ohio Office of Tourism as well as director of Nevada uh, Office of Tourism, and now she's the CEO at Sonoma County Tourism uh, in California. So I'm really, really happy for her. Finally, in Fayetteville, I came here. I had a great, uh, had had a great team to um, some some of the great teams part where we had to part ways with some, but but I had two people there that stood out and now have, are moving on. One is Angie Brady, who is just such a superb, superb person, and uh, and she was our our director of tourism marketing, and um, and now she's gone on. And it will start in January, this coming January, as a matter of fact. And her new, the newest uh, CEO level that I've been able to be a part of their careers uh, at the CVB in uh, Clarksville, uh, Tennessee. So she's taking that. It can only be her first CEO role. And then finally, a superb, superb person. I'm really happy that, that he's moved on, uh, moved up and on, is David Nash. And he was our yeah. inf- director of in- information technology in Fayetteville. And he went on to be, and now is, the CRM and research analyst at the Philadelphia Convention Visitor Bureau. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a, it, it's been, it's really great to have these people and to see where they've gone, to follow their careers and, and know that you had maybe a small part in, in helping them along. Yeah. What a great legacy. Yeah. All right. It's time for your bonus round question. Yeah. So a few weeks ago, and once again, we're going to talk about Fred Dixon. Fred shared his story yeah. of doing lunch with Taylor Swift in her apartment, which was just, it's hilarious. And if listeners haven't uh, had a chance to listen to Fred's episode, please do. That the two of you work together opens up similar stories from a generation before. You've got kind of the same kind of stories with Wayne Newton and Tony Orlando. Please share. I hope some of the people will have the appreciation and the love I do for those two legendary entertainers. I met both of them when I was in Branson, Missouri and ran the bureau there. And uh, both of them had theaters there. If any, those of you who know anything about Branson know there, there are a lot of the, uh, music theaters, a lot of entertainers they have come and gone over the years. Yep. Uh, but two of those that were so important, important to us uh, were Wayne and, and Tony. And, and so I got to know to know him. And I think the reason, in fact, Wayne told me this one time. He said, the reason that I consider you such a great friend is you don't look at me any different than anybody else walking down the street. Well, other than I can't sing like he does, I can't make, you know, all those kinds of things. But there's people yeah. that are doing their jobs and doing what they can for, in this case, for the industry there in um, the tourism industry there in, in Branson. But, but I had um, invited both of them over on different occasions uh, and, and a couple of times each to our home there in Branson for dinner. And uh, they came and we, we chatted and we had wine and it led around to talking about, about tourism and about why they did what they did, especially in Branson. And in both cases, Wayne and Tony talked about the value of tourism, the value of what they believe they had a part of or that they could be a part of. They weren't just entertainers to come in there and, you know, fill up their fill up their suitcases with money and move on. They were truly wanted to be a f- part of the fabric of the tourism industry there. And I see Tony more than I see Wayne. I went out on several occasions to see Wayne in Las Vegas and went, went actually went to his home, uh, his estate, Shenandoah, 
is a terrific place out there. And, and he and his wife, Kathleen, are such great people. Uh, see Tony uh, on the road out, and he's done a lot of MTAs, and he's done a lot of other organizations. But I, let me read to you just quick, very quickly uh, what I said in my farewell uh, letter when my first retirement <laughs> happened. And um, in, uh, it'll kind of sum it up with, with Wayne and Tony. I said, uh, a number of years ago, while I was CEO in the CBB in Branson, Missouri, uh, I got to know the legendary entertainer, Wayne Newton, who had a music theater there in addition to his Las Vegas show. <laughs> Wayne and I talked many times about the mutual love for the tourism industry. And the reason I bring him up uh, is because I am reminded often of what he said at the end of every show. Wayne would say, when a person gives of their money, it is something that can be replaced. But when they give of their time, it is something that's irreplaceable. With that said, Wayne thanked the audience for coming to his show. Now, to me, that's what our visitors give us is their time. It's irreplaceable time. That is, I believe, why we do what we do. And, and I believe that. I believe that Tony said the same kinds of things uh, over, over wine at dinner and uh, when we had conversations. And, and I think it's those kind of people that come to your community that don't just take from your community but give to your community. Well, and you couldn't be, I think, more accurate. I, I also have had the very real opportunity to meet some of the entertainment industry's biggest stars, and you find them to be really, really real. I mean, they're just people who have a gift, and they're sharing that gift, and yeah, they're making a boatload of money. Yeah. But when you get them off the stage, yeah, they are some of the most genuine people in the world. So. So, Randy, yeah. thank you for giving your time to this episode of DMOU. Thank you for all you do, you for all you've done for this industry. You have been a thought leader. And I got to tell you, your passion for playing it uh, forward, that's something that I think, as I said in one of my earlier questions, what's been lost? I think that for a lot of us, that's a lost art. And we got to pay it forward. And we've got to find ways to find the people who are around us who are really, really talented. Yeah. Make sure they don't leave this industry and find a way to, and I remember, so some people remember John Conley. He was the uh, DMO CEO in Rochester, Minnesota, and then in uh, Minneapolis, I think Northwest. He was my convention sales guy, mm -hmm. uh, my, my very first convention sales guy. This is back in the old days of what, IACVB. Yeah where there was no internet, there was no job board. And so they would send right. job offerings out in the mail. I, you remember, we'd get a packet every week or so of five or, you remember, five or six yeah. sheets that said, yeah. here are the jobs that yeah. are available. I remember those. And yeah. the ones that made sense for John, I would slide them into his box. Yeah. And he, you know, he came by one evening. I'm, you know, it's five thirty, six o'clock. Yeah. He pokes his head in my door and he goes, uh, can we talk? And I said, yeah. He sits down, he goes, are you trying to tell me something? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you keep sliding these job opportunities in my box. Are you getting ready to let me go? And I said, no. I said, John, you have talent. You need to run a bureau. Yeah. And you're not running this one. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I said, yeah. not just because I'm not leaving, but I said, when I do, I don't think the board's going to see you as presidential. Right. I think you, if you want to run Madison, I think you need to go out and run another one 
Mm-hmm. And then if you want to, you can come back when I leave. But mm-hmm. I said, it's not going to be easy. You're, you're not going to ascend to the throne. I just don't see it. And he kind of nodded and he said, oh, well, and then, you know, I, probably a year later, he lands Rochester and had a great run there. Yeah. And then he yeah. moved on and on. And, you know, so it's one of those opportunities. I think we all owe our industry and ourselves and the people around us to give them that opportunity, give them that shot, encourage them to take that next step. So I love the way you think, man. And it's yeah. been a, a wild ride over our combined 30 so years in the industry and it's and boy you've got lots to to share so hopefully you can continue to uh to share that uh that passion and the background that you have and i don't know is teaching in your future you know it's it is it was in my past and my future i uh i've been adjunct professor for a long time at various universities wherever i've been my last one uh being at, at ccsu in in connecticut and um, it, it's such a great, I love those kids. I love those college kids and their thirst for learning. And, and what in, if they're in the tourism program, I've only taught kids that were in the tourism program. And I've only taught juniors, seniors, and graduate students. And I've kind of, so I've kind of made it to a point where I can help affect those that are just now, that are going to be going out into the job market. Yeah. And, uh, and I ask them what it's going to take to get them ready, how they're going to feel. So I, I do that. And I'm, and I, I look for, I'm looking for other things. We've, we've moved here to Outer Banks in North Carolina and we are loving it. We're down in Manio and it's just North Carolina. It's just such a great, great place, great destination. So we're, um, I'm looking for opportunities to do the kinds of things that, that I do that, um, I'm not, not one of those retired guys that can sit back and fish or, you know, play golf all day or whatever, you know, but I have to have to be doing something. So. Uh, yeah, well, don't um, stray too far because we need you. Thanks again, Randy. It's been great. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate the opportunity, buddy. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers this is where the best and the brightest come. To share their stories, it's DMOU.com. And be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen to DMOU to be notified when new episodes drop. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Destinations International. Next up on the event calendar is Marcom, the Marketing Communication Summit the preeminent gathering place for marketing, communication, and public relations professionals dedicated to helping destination organizations thrive. Get inspired and lift your creativity to a whole new level in some place truly elevated. That would be Salt Lake City, February 27, 28, and 29. And registration is now open in the events section of destinationsinternational.org. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, position papers on board diversity and a new model for destination development, the book Destination Leadership, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, plus access to past episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.